Hello, and welcome to Pragmatic Live, Pragmatic Marketing's webinar and podcast series where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product teams. My name is Rebecca Calagiris. I am the Vice President of Marketing at Pragmatic Marketing, and more importantly to you, host for today's event. Before we get started, a couple of housekeeping items. First, we will absolutely provide a recording of this webinar and a copy of the slides, as well as the templates that Steve discusses today after the event. You'll be able to access them at pragmaticmarketing.com slash live starting tomorrow, and we will also send out an email with links so you don't have to write that down. Second, questions. We love questions. If you look at the bottom of your screen, you'll see a series of round icons. If you click on the one with the three dots on it, you can select Q&A. And there, you'll be able to ask any and all questions as we go through the presentation. And then Steve and I will work to get through as many as possible at the end of today's event. Now, many of you are already familiar with pragmatic marketing. But for those of you not aware of us until today, welcome to the family. Pragmatic marketing specializes in training companies and product teams on how to be truly market-driven. We provide techniques for listening to the market and gathering market facts, and then using those facts to shape both strategies and execution. And we've been doing this and doing it quite successfully for over 25 years. Every month in our webinar series, our goal is to dive into one of the activities on our framework and bring to it insights, best practices, stories from the trenches from different experts. Today's topic is one I know that much of our audience struggles with, business plans. How do we build compelling business plans that drive investment and do so in a way that doesn't consume all of our time, leaving us with nothing left to actually build the thing that's in the plan? Helping us unravel this conundrum today is Steve Johnson, one of the founding fathers of Pragmatic Marketing, who is back in the fold after having spent some time running his own consultancy implementation group, uh, and he now leads our product team as Vice President of Product. Welcome, Steve. Thank you. Glad to be here. We are thrilled to have you, and we are really excited to dig into this topic. I know you've got lots of good stuff in store. Let's hope that that's true. Here we go. <laughs> what I've encountered over my career is that we have so many good ideas, and it's never just one idea. It's multiple ideas and more ideas. And it's not so much should we do this one or yes or no, it's more like of all of the things we could do, which ones are the most important? How do we decide which one is the one we should pursue immediately? Which one should we put in our queue? And maybe there are a couple that we say, you know, this just isn't a good fit for us. And so what I'm going to look at today is a technique for identifying which of the things that we could do should we do. And we'll look at an opportunity scoring technique that uh, I've been using for quite a few years. Ideas come from everywhere. And ideas are good. Ideas are great. But ideas are not execution. You know, the real challenge is, fine, we've got this idea. What exactly is this idea? And I find in so many cases, we find uh, that the executives and the salespeople and the product people have started adding stuff to the idea. Every time we talk about it, we add just a little bit more. And before you know it, you've kind of lost sight of what exactly is this idea? So one of the tools that we strongly uh, uh, support is the idea of putting everything you can on a single piece of paper. And yet most companies rush to a business plan. 
Um, I, I remember vividly a, a just a wonderful conversation years ago. Um, the head of product turned to the head of engineering and said, so, you know, how much would this cost? And he said, well, it really depends on what you mean by this. Because this could be, you know, pretty easy or it could be pretty intense depending on what the requirements really are. And so as an industry, it seems to me that we rush to financials before we really know what this thing is. And for that matter, I uh, had a case a few years ago as well. Uh, one of the, uh, the, the president of my company said, you know, every idea is a good idea. And if you have an idea, uh, product management will turn it into a business case. And one of my development friends leaned over to me and said, oh, I'm going to keep you plenty busy doing business cases so you won't bother me with all those tedious requirements. I'll just keep you busy writing business cases. So before an idea is clearly defined, we're an advocate for this idea of product canvas. And this is a variation on something you've probably seen before. But of course, this is pragmatic, right? Step one is always listen to the market and then articulate your idea in kind of a yes-no format, which is what we'll look at today, and then get a, a approval to go forward. Instead of saying we've got these 47 things we want to do, let's filter it down to under 10 things so that we can just say, you know, what are the two or three or four that we're going to take forward? And then if, once we have that approval, then we get into finalizing the numbers and doing a business plan that has times and numbers and forecasts, and that gets final approval before we start uh, actually building the thing. And it's not that big of a deal. This, this product canvas is something that you can fill out pretty simply. So here's what, uh, what, we, what I've been using for a product canvas, and this is adapted from the business model canvas by Alexander Osterwalder, um, and it's a, a everything we, not everything, it's what we need to know on one sheet of paper, just enough to make a decision to proceed. And in my life, I've got sufficient number of projects going on that half the time I'm like, now wait, what was this again? You know, you call it a tutorial, and is that different than a refresher, and are those the same thing, or is that two different things? And so having a, a one-pager, for particularly for executives to reference, is pretty important. And we're going to walk through parts of this um, and look at some different philosophies around it. Um, this document can be completed rather easily. You know, it's something that a product manager or a head of product can complete in an hour or so. And that is enough information for us to lead a discussion with the leadership team on, you know, is this something we want to take forward? As opposed to, you know, when you go to the business planning process, you end up having to, you know, work with development to see how big it is and working with marketing to see what kind of launch and go to market it is and working with sales to get an idea of what kind of revenue it is. And before I start bothering a lot of people all over the company, you know, let's see if we can articulate it in a single page and use this to move the idea through an initial approval before we go to full evaluation. The thing is, each one of these boxes is a hypothesis. It's like, I think this is an opportunity. I think this is going to resonate with the clients. I think this is the problem. I think this is the competitive landscape. And all of those things 
need to be validated as part of our business planning. And so as you do research, you know, I went out and I visited three buyers and I confirmed that uh, these are the types of buyers who have the problem we're trying to solve. I visited with users. I visited with uh, uh, an analyst to understand the alternatives in the market. So as we learn more about the product idea, each of these areas of the canvas start getting validated um, to the point where we can then say, you know, we're feeling pretty confident about this content, that this is really what we want to do going forward. So we're probably already familiar with some of these concepts. I mean, uh, if you've attended any pragmatic marketing classes, I'm sure you've learned about buyer personas and user personas. The buyer is the one who ends up paying for things or approving the payment of things. The user is um, the one who ends up using it on a, on a daily basis. Uh, we've learned certainly that the most important box on the pragmatic marketing framework is the problem in the market. And uh, we've also learned about alternatives. You know, we've looked at, you know, our lookalike competitors. We've looked at alternatives like um, third-party utilities that can be sort of used to solve the problem. We've looked at alternatives like we've done it ourselves internally using Microsoft Office products. So we've probably already learned those concepts, but in just, you know, one sentence, we're articulating who's going to buy it, who's going to use it, what problem do they have, what are they using as an alternative today. And then you probably are familiar as well with the concept of positioning, and that articulates really your vision for the product. What is this thing we're building? And one of my favorite approaches is called the simile, which is it's like something else I understand, but for a certain a specific application. Like my Amazon Paperwhite is like an iPod for books. Uh, like, and you see so many references to, you know, our product is like Uber or like uh, eBay or like, you know, Google, but for a specific application. And this too is an area that we need to validate in the market to see if it actually resonates with people. And eventually we'll turn that, and frankly all of these boxes, but this one will turn into a full document at some point called a positioning document. You've probably also learned about, you know, articulating why you're unique, what is special about you, what is your distinctive competence and how we're going to measure success. What are your KPIs or your OKRs? I think one of the most exciting parts of this uh, form of planning is to talk about the sources of costs and the sources of revenues. Because the truth of the matter is, we have no idea whether this is a million dollars, $10 million, $100 million. We have no idea uh, how much it's going to cost and how much revenue it's going to generate because we're just too early in the process. But what I like to do here is call out where do you think the money will come from or where do you think the cost will come from? So as we look at you know a new thing, we may say, okay, we're going to need some development resource. Marketing is going to have to do a fair amount of work um, or marketing is going to have to not do very much work because this is so similar uh, to something else we already have in the market. Um, how, how is sales going to be impacted? You know, are we going to have to bring everybody together for sales training? So what are the areas that will be impacted in terms of costing? And then what are the sources where we expect to make money? You know, are we going to sell um, 
are we going to sell licenses? Are we going to sell um, SaaS? Are we going to sell subscription? Um, and w where are we going to sell it? So these are all, again, your hypotheses on where the money's going to, uh, where the revenue is going to come from, where the costs are going to come from, uh, where the contracts are going to come from. The thing I really want to focus on today is this concept called an opportunity score. Because so the truth of the matter is, lots and lots of ideas, so many ideas. But you should have a way to say, this one is better than that one. How big is this opportunity for us? In terms of, is it something we can do and is it something we should do? And there was a, a, apparently a terrible movie that my wife and I just loved and most other people don't. It was called Joe versus the Volcano, starring uh, Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. And at the beginning, Tom Hanks' boss is shouting into the phone over and over and over again, I know he can get the job, but can he do the job? And those are the questions we want to ask here. Can we get the job and can we do the job? So this is how I do opportunity scoring. First of all, can we do the job? Do we have passion for it? Do we have a reputation? Do we have originality in the way we're going to approach it? That is, do we have an innovation? Uh, do we have validation of our methods? And do we have the expertise? Um, I've worked in a lot of organizations where they say, you know, a good manager can manage anything. But I, I haven't found that to be true. I've found that passion is what keeps the team moving forward. It's particularly when things get tough. It's what, kids, uh, it, it, it's what has developers working on the weekend because they just want to do a good job for the client, not just because their boss said, you know, hey, um, I'm going to kind of need you to come in on Saturday. Passion is what gets people working late at night or on the weekends or, you know, whenever things are tight. And I'm not saying we want passion just so people will work harder. It's we want passion because people will make it part of their, almost like their hobby. Um, reputation is about, do you, do people think of you in this way? I, I was doing a training years ago and there was a guy in the room who was super passionate about branding and branding is a really powerful thing. But he said, you know, if you have a strong brand, you can build anything. You know, you could build houses or cars or watches or, you know, whatever. And, you know, we've seen that not necessarily be true. I mean, I do think, you know, in a way, it's like I'd, I'd be interested to see what Apple could do if they built a house. But then it would be a house none of us could afford. And we'd have to trade it in every three years to get the new upgrade. Um, I had another friend contact me a while back, and he said, I'm thinking about starting a business. And I'm like, okay, let's walk through um, this concept of prove plus score. So do you have passion? And he said, yes, I do. And I said, do you have a reputation? And he said, well, I've got like 300 followers on Twitter. So not a very big reputation. Do you have originality in your approach? And he's like, oh, I've read lots and lots and lots of books. And I'm like, well, that may be validated methods, but do you have some unique perspective that you bring to the party? Do you have an innovation that makes your approach different than anyone else's? And he's like, mm, not so much. 
uh, but he did have validated methods, and he had some expertise. But as we looked at that, we said there's a delta between what you have and what you really need to succeed here. Uh, another quick one, uh, a buddy of mine is creating an app that's designed to help romantic couples work on their marriages or their relationships. And he's the age of my children. And I'm like, you know, I've been married longer than you've been alive. So what qualifies you to tell me how to manage my, my, my relationships? And he said, oh, well, it's based on this. And he pulls out half a dozen um, research papers of things like the five love languages and stuff going back to the 70s of uh, um, proven techniques uh, or proven uh, research in a certain topic area. So when he's making a claim, this will help you, he's got validation that that is a reasonable thing to expect from him. So that's all about, you know, can we do it? And then the next question is, should we? So you've come up with this new idea. Does it fit with your company's overall strategy? You know, somebody comes in and says, you know, we could make a fortune if we sold more coffee cups and T-shirts and, and sports apparel. And you're like, mm, that's not really the strategy of our company. Does this idea give you a competitive advantage? Does it fit in with the portfolio of your offering? Does it generate returns either in revenue or cost savings? And is it big or small? Is it a big effort to deliver or a small effort? And when you think about effort, we're thinking not about development necessarily, but could be easy for development or engineering to build and yet quite difficult for sales and marketing to support. So what is the corporate level of effort to deliver? And the way we can use this is we can use this to prove some ideas. We've got these four ideas we want to pursue. Are we excited about it? Would our customers expect us to deliver it? Do we have an innovation or a new way to solve it? Do we have data? Do we have the know-how? And I think of these as specialized forms of distinctive competence. And then we look at Yes, Rebecca? Well, I was going to ask Steve on that, and maybe maybe I'm cheating and getting ahead of myself, but how would you score those, and who would you see answering those questions? Um, well, before I score it, let me go back. I think the first step is a discussion among you and your peers. What do we, what are we corporate, at, at, on a corporate level, at an organizational level? What are we passionate about? What is our reputation? Uh, what are our unique uh, original ideas? What are our um, what data do we have, or what research do we have? And what is our expertise area? And there was a company I worked with a few years ago, where there was a single person who had expertise, and she was being called in on every sales call and every development meeting and every leadership meeting because she was the expert, but no one else in the organization had expertise. So I would start that discussion with your team. You know, what do we believe we're passionate about and so forth? But I ideally would have this discussion with leadership. What do they perceive is our area of passion, reputation, originality, validation, and expertise? 
that makes sense? Yeah, so you kind of work with them to get a basic standard of which you could then grade or rate every opportunity that came in against. Correct, and we're going to look okay. at that in just a second, sure. I'm in. All right. So if we were thinking about a few different ideas, we could just say yay or nay, you know, yes or no. And so here are the first five which are really, um, is this something we can realistically offer? And then the second five is, does this fit our business? And then we can go through and say yay or nay. You know, here's an idea number one, which we are passionate about. We have a reputation that customers would expect us to deliver this kind of thing. We have data that supports uh, the delivery of it. We have know-how across the organization. It will make us, uh, it will give us a competitive advantage. It'll increase our revenues and we can get results relatively quickly. And at 10 points per dot, idea one is vastly better than idea four. And what, that's not to say idea four is not a good idea. Just in this initial scoring, idea four isn't as good as the other three. But where it really gets fun is if you start looking at low, medium, high, or one to five, or one to 10. And those of you who have attended our focus class are, are familiar with this idea of what we call sliders, but you know, rating things from not good on the left to very good on the right or low to high. So instead of just saying yay or nay, you know, are we, are we excited about it? Yes. We could say, well, our excitement is low on this or our excitement is high. You know, we give this a four out of five for, you know, passion and a five out of five for reputation and so forth. And so we could do that uh, a scale for the prove questions as well as the score questions and end up with something more like this. Now here, for, for those of you who are as nerdy as I am, uh, I'm doing Fibonacci numbers here. And I'm also not reusing the Fibonacci numbers horizontally. So you either understand what I just said or you don't. Okay, that's cool. Anyway, uh, so in this case, you know, idea number one has the highest passion rating, and then idea number two, and then idea number four, and our least passion is for idea number three. Uh, so I went through each row at a time and said, you know, from low, medium, high, from zero to five, um, would our customers expect us to deliver idea one, then idea two, idea three, idea four? And when you're doing this kind of scoring, it's easier to rank them. You know, this one is more than that one than it is to just try and use a, um, an absolute number. So that's what I did here. I mean, the last row I said uh, the least, the, the greatest effort, the, the worst effort, if you will, uh, was idea two. Um, smaller than that is idea three. Smaller than that is idea four. Smaller than that is idea one. So the larger something is in terms of effort, the, the lower the score would be. And so in this case, guess what? Just like our last example, um, we've got idea one is clearly the winner in this sequence of things. Now, can you imagine presenting this at leadership, bringing together the VPs and the CXOs and saying, here's the four ideas that we've been pursuing. 
and this is how we're thinking of them priority-wise or in terms of opportunity score. And then they say, well, I don't really agree with that. And you're like, great, let's walk through the numbers. Let's change them together. And it may be that they've got a different sense of what our strategy is than you do. Or it may be they have a different sense of what our portfolio is. But this leading them through this, this mental model may very well end up in the same place. You know, it could be that as they think about it, the idea four gets a few more points, but it's still the least relevant idea. So we have a really interesting question from Gotham, who clearly understands pragmatic as well. So he says, this is great scoring from an outside in, or rather, let me try that again. Inside out. This seems very inside out, company metrics, company focused. Should this also, how do we balance this out with the outside in um, customer satisfaction, market importance aspects? Very good point. And what I'm trying to do here is look at is this something we should pursue because we have the skills to do so? Uh, the other question, I think the one you're bringing up, is we also need to evaluate, is the customer, uh, is, this a, uh, is this an urgent problem for the customer? Is it a pervasive problem in the market space? Are they willing to pay for a solution? And we, we've already kind of done that sort of calculation in uh, other work. Here I'm just looking at which one of these things is the uh, takes the best advantage of our corporate assets. So yes, this is a very much inside-out view of of uh, opportunity scoring. Would you say that on the canvas, when you have them record sort of the the market problem and the personas, that's sort of a gate you have to go through first, and those that pass that, then you would score against to see what happens forward. Would that be fair? Uh, that would be fair. And, you know, uh, when I was doing this, you know, for some projects we're working on at Pragmatic, I also uh, added, added something like on the opportunity as to whether this was a will I or which one decision. Um, I could certainly see how we could put in uh, uh, the problem, you know, a, a like a scoring mechanism for urgent willing, for urgent pervasive, willing to pay. Um, what I really wanted to focus on, though, was are we the ones to do this? Do we have the capabilities? It's like, can we get the job and can we do the job? Uh, I have encountered so many organizations that say there's, there's just this huge opportunity, but then they don't really have the wherewithal to go after it. They don't really have the resources or they don't really have the skill set. Uh, and likewise, I've had the opposite. I, I had a call from a guy who said, we've got this innovation. You know, how do we market it? And, you know, my, the pragmatic in me just, you know, almost passed out. It's like, well, wait, you can't have an innovation if you don't understand markets and problems. And he's like, oh, that's a good idea. We should understand the problem first, huh? <laughs> yeah, that's totally true. Um, we have another question about this kind of thing. Is Have you thought at all about, or have you used, when you've done this before, weighting against the different factors, or are they all sort of equally weighted in your mind? Um, I have thought about that, and I'm pretty sure I do not have a slide to that. But, yeah, I would agree. I mean, to me, um, if, if we were doing this in a spreadsheet instead of PowerPoint, um, you could definitely – I. 
Yes, I have definitely added a weighting factor when I use this internally. You may say, you know, given where we are strategically right now, we're more interested in things that leverage our reputation and less concerned about things that are validated or less concerned about things that give us a competitive edge. Um, if you're in a more established marketplace, you may say, you know, we're, we're really competition is the biggest issue right now. So you could score, you could weight that score higher. Uh, so yes, when I implemented this in my last company, we, we applied a weight factor to it. And then one more question while we're on this slide. Sure. Is would this be altered at all by if you're focused on an emerging technology, something that's sort of net new where um, the innovation may put you outside some of the comfort zones of the company? Um, I don't know. Um, I'm thinking, no, it would not change, but it would say there's going to be a number of things that are, you know, that score low. And the thing is, it's not so bad that it scores low. In isolation, you look at it and say, this is something we really want to pursue. It, you know, we're doing industrial IoT. You know, we're passionate about it. Maybe we don't have a reputation for it, but we have an original solution that has been validated and we've got the expertise. Well, gosh, in that case, we've got a really exciting idea, but we just don't have a reputation, which says we need to work with marketing on techniques for how do we improve. Our, you know, let's send our, our CXOs out um, speaking at uh, conferences. Let's get, uh, let's, let's write some white let's do some videos, let's do some marketing campaigns that build up our reputation. Are you ready to become a product superhero? Pragmatic Marketing has the real world insights, actionable best practices, and proven tools to help you take your products, your company, and your career to new heights. Visit PragmaticMarketing.com today to get the right product tools for your utility belt so you can save the day every day. And for any of these, you know, you say, well, gosh, we know this is the right answer or we want to believe this is the right answer, then Let's do some research to validate that that is indeed the right answer. Uh, so any of these where you say, this is something we really want to do because it, it's a, a strategic fit, it has competitive advantage, it, it, it's a complement to our offering, it, all of these things, but you find yourself with a low score on one of these items, that's not a deal killer. It just says, what will we do about that? How do we increase that? One of the, the questions that just came in says that they do a similar tool where every manager on the team ranks projects on their own um, against this type of criteria and then against some more quantifiable items like economics and profits. I find that concept interesting, so I'd like your take on that. And then also, if you do that, how would you kind of compile results across the organization? If you have multiple product managers weighing their ideas, how do you then sort of con have a consolidated view. Which is, you know, you, you've got five people, right? Okay. 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 
where you've got five product managers and they all hold up their fingers and say, you know, I think this is a five, I think this is a three, and so forth. And when you do planning poker, the person with the high and the low has to argue everybody to his position or be argued out of it. So I've done this with, uh, you know, a number of executives and we just hold up our fingers. And uh, in one case, like everybody agreed that it was a three except one person who said it was a five. And he said, I don't think you appreciate the marketing effort that will be necessary for bringing this new thing to market. And he described what they were doing and everybody went, oh, you know, I had no visibility to that. So I agree with you. So that's the simplest way. I mean, you could also just, you know, do a sum, right? You could look through, you could just add up the five different scores. Um, the thing that I want to speak to, though, is there's no reliable way to estimate costs or revenues at this stage. And it's, it's, it's kind of like the same thing with roadmaps. You know, we haven't designed the feature. What day of the week will it be available? So when we look at a, a formula, you want it to be one that is understandably subjective as opposed to saying, let's make up some numbers, in which case, you know, it's fine. Just make up some numbers, like it's a million dollars of cost and a billion dollars in revenue. But let's, let's embrace the fact that those numbers are based in, on nothing. So I'm, I'm always leery at this point of planning to see any sort of precision because this kind of a canvas is about more about vision and less about precision. So we have, um, we have lots of questions about the canvas from when we went over that earlier. Okay. Uh, but one of the ones that came with, well, you said that you talked about having a will I or which one version um, aspect to the product canvas. For those of us, for those of the listeners who have not been to pricing, can you talk a little bit about what that is? Sure. Um, so, in our pricing class, um, the instructors make a point about some purchases are will I purchases and some are which one. So. A simple example is if you don't already have a phone, which is incomprehensible, but stick with me, you're in a decision place of do I buy Apple or do I buy Google or do I buy Samsung? You know, which universe do I buy? But once you've bought, you start making will I decisions. Instead of which one should I buy? I mean, if you've bought the iPhone, then you're probably going to buy uh, other things from Apple, like Apple's headset, as opposed to somebody else's headset. Um, so, uh, well, uh, here, a simple example. It's, 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 uh, um, I'm thinking about buying the new iPad. When I buy the new iPad and I decide I want a stylus, buying the iPad is a which one choice, you know, do I buy Apple or somebody else? Do I buy, um, you know, and which, which model do I buy? But then when I look at styluses, once I've chosen my tablet, I'm pretty much stuck with buying Apple's pencil. 
because um, that's think- one choice. Er- Early on, tablets were definitely a will I, right? It was about, am I a person who feels I need another electronic? The laptop doesn't. It was definitely more of a luxury. It's will I or won't I buy it? In that case, you have premium pricing because it doesn't matter as much, right? The pricing doesn't. Once you get in there, you're doing something that feels more like a commodity, right? It's which Mm -hmm. one? I know I'm going to buy toilet paper. Am I going to squeeze the Charmin or am I going to cotton now, right? So you have a different levels of pieces there. Yes, thank you. That was much clearer than what I said. Anytime you can have a, a toilet paper comparison, Steve. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if, if you can't relate to that. Uh, um, oh, so we have a question, too, about canvases um, and using the canvas if the product is like an existing, it's a feature to an existing product. So if it's more of an incremental improvement, would that change at all um, how you looked at the canvas? Well, I think it would, throughout my career, I've always had a one pager, something like this for every product that I have. And if we're building a new feature, a major new feature, the question I would have is, does it change any of these uh, text areas? By bringing on a new feature, I mean, you know, we're doing from version 9 to version 10 with a big deliverable in virtual reality. Would that change any of these? Does it change the user or the buyer or the vision? Uh, But I will say, I have a very similar schema to uh, scoring features that I have for scoring ideas. It's different kinds of questions, but similar questions. Um, So I would definitely have this sort of a scoring mechanism for features, um, just as I have for product ideas. Would it maybe be more tighten more specific questions or would you still want it to be very much at the idea vision level for a feature as well? Um, the, yeah, the, um, the ones I have for features are more, are, are more precise, if you will. They're like the customer is really unhappy with this, um, this particular aspect of the product. Um, this is something our competitors have and we don't have. It's something we're losing deals because we don't have it. So it's um, a, a similar set of questions, but down at the feature level. Okay. Which I guess would be a opportunity for a future webinar. I know. Someone just said, hey, can you, can you share those factors? So I think there would be some interest. There we um, go. Also in terms of this canvas, uh, Parker asks if there is, um, can you use this for service offerings where there isn't a, a pure product in a traditional sense? And is there anything uh, you would change to that? Absolutely. And I don't know if I would change anything. Um, it's funny. When I think of product, I don't think of physical product or software product. I think of a product as something that solves a problem for customers. And so I think one of the in, one of the interesting aspects of working at Pragmatic Marketing is we think of our seminars as products. We have positioning documents, we have product canvases, we have these artifacts for our quote product unquote 
Um, so I don't see how it's really any different for a service versus software. Okay. One client I worked with years ago, they said, let's see if we can't adapt this to services. And as we went through, we went, you know, it's all, it's actually the same thing. The only difference is services aren't delivered with code. They're delivered in something else. They're delivered in man hours or, you know, phone calls. I think particularly when you're at this vision level, right? Some of the metrics and, and some of the, when you're down in the cost and those spaces are going to change. But at this overall level, right? You've got personas who need to have problems. How this compares to the competition, this is why we're a good match for it. And here's where we think the, the general economics are at a high level is, is going to be consistent across hardware, software, services, um, for sure. Yeah. Agreed. And by the way, I've also used this scoring method for markets. I mean, it's designed for scoring product ideas. Uh, but one of the companies I work with was looking at expanding internationally. And they said, you know, which one should we go to? And we pulled this up and kind of walked through each one of them. And the, the two that were most critical, I thought, was reputation and effort to deliver. You know, what is your reputation in this country and that country and the other country? Because that's going to imply, you know, marketing resources to increase your reputation. And therefore, that connects to effort to deliver. You know, how much will it take a, a, for us to create a subsidiary in that country if we have to do that? How much do we have to do marketing? How much do we have to do internationalization? Um, so this scoring technique works um, pretty much for any anything as long as you're mostly comparing similar things. And for your scores then, do you use relative scoring? Or is there like a definition in your mind of what a three is or a one? Or because you can only use one number once as you did it here, is it relative? So relative to idea you know, three, this is harder, easier, better. Well, yeah, in this example, I did relative. Um, it was, this is bigger than that, this is smaller than the other. Um, a, if you're going to do absolutes and just say, you know, are we excited about this thing in isolation, then you probably don't want to use any more than three, that it's like low, medium, high. Um, well, we used to do my good old days in Agile when we did our, our points points poker. You know, we had, as a company, an understanding of what a three effort was. We had projects we'd done in the past. So you could use that as a reference. Was this harder or easier in our mind for this? Are we more or less prepared than we were for that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just don't know if we have enough track record mm -hmm. in the industry on uh, what is aligned with our product strategy at a level three. That's true. I think it's something you could refine over time after using the scoring for a while. You'd be like, oh, remember we did that before and that was a, a three. How does yeah, it compare to that? Good mm -hmm. point. And yep. you know, the, the idea of a retrospective is always powerful. You know, if you, after, if, you know, once a year you go through and say, well, how, how would we rate the projects we completed now that we know what we know? compared to the way we did do it six months ago, we might say, oh, we're starting to see some similarity in the way we do numbers. Great. 
So back to the canvas for a minute. We had a great question about the key metrics and what level of metrics we're talking about. Is it, you know, just, hey, we're going to track ROI and net promoter, or is it at the level of what we expect those to be? What detail would you put into the metric section? Or I think you have an example. Maybe that would help enlighten us. Uh, maybe I do and maybe I don't. Let's see oh. what happens next. Oh, okay. <laughs> Surprise PowerPoint. <laughs> uh, so here's an example I did for a product called Product Minder, which will be familiar to some people who have attended our classes. Um, at this level of planning, in answer specifically to the um, metrics question, I'm thinking at this level we're looking more at will we measure success on profits or adoption or learning? Um, uh, when we, when, for instance, many years ago when we started building apps, you know, the measure of success was can we successfully get our app in the store? Because there's so much learning necessary to go through uh, creating and bundling and packaging and uploading and uh, responding and, and going through all the mechanics of going from my computer to, you know, the, the, the store. And so initially those projects would, a measure of success would be, you know, did we get it in the store? And then once we've learned that, then we start saying, well, all right, now we want to see how many people will start using it one time. And then as a product matures, you start looking more at revenue and profit and net promoter score. So it really depends on where the product is in its life cycle as to what metrics you capture. And just a reminder, because lots of people are asking, we're going to share the the product canvas template, the example, and the prove and score uh, templates as well after the after the webinar. Correct. Oh, and then again, because we touched a little bit about it briefly, but I can see there are several questions in this area in terms of what cross-functional group would you have work on the scoring portion and who would you see as the creators and the consumers of the canvas? Well, you know, I'm kind of a product management guy, so I'm always thinking this would be a product manager would own this document. That, however, I, I do recognize that in many organizations, the product marketing team is doing this kind of strategy work. Uh, but whoever it is that's responsible for the business case should own this document. And... I have I have done these where the the owner of the business case um, has responsibility for it entirely, but a smart leader would certainly involve others in going through this scoring mechanism. Whether that is, I would think of this as something that would be done at a pretty senior level that. The you know the VP of Sales, Marketing, Development, Services. Um, can't think of anybody I've left out there, but I'm sure I've left somebody out. Going through this discussion, and what one thing I'm not even sure of the answer of. You know, part of me says we should not show them our answer. 
and let and see what answer they come up with, uh, as opposed to you know here's a straw man, let's change it. So it'd be interesting to see if 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 people get different results if they start from a blank sheet versus um, a starting from a completed sheet. But then, hey, guess what's fun? You know, somebody comes along and says, well, Steve, you don't have idea five. You know, I've got this big passionate thing I'm, I'm concerned about of, you know, put it, rewriting everything in a language that doesn't yet exist. All right, well, let's put the idea on the chart and go through and rate it against those others in the same factors. And then we'll, we may find that that's the hottest idea of all. But more likely, you'll find that you know idea number one consistently outperforms the others because it's just simply a good idea. And somebody did uh, message in that we forgot support and that we should include the head of support in these conversations, and I think that's very best. Of course, we should. I knew <laughs> that was not an intentional slight. Um, we have a, I think, a really interesting question. Um, so after you've done the product canvas and it looks at its surface to be a good idea. How does that feed into the business plan? And then what would sort of, how would the outline work from there and what would you add? What's sort of that next step for this? Well, I think of each box on this canvas as being a paragraph or a page in a business plan. That we would talk about, you know, who is the buyer, who is the user. So each of these boxes wants to be a section of a business plan. And the major difference in my mind between the canvas and the business plan is the bottom row. That now we're not talking about sources of cost, we're talking about expectations. You know, a three to five, uh, a three year um, cost projection and a three year revenue project projection um, with now actual numbers, not just sources of, of, of numbers. In terms of uh, key metrics, are there again details that you would add in into that, or is it mostly the detailed next level is on that bottom row? Oh uh, yeah, I would add detail on the key metrics. Um, again, the the metrics that you want to track will change as the the product matures. But let me let me challenge you with a new product. Your metric is not revenue. With a new product, your revenue is learning. I mean, your metric is learning, and then your metric is adoption. And, you know, a lot of leadership teams don't really like to hear that, but, you know, the big goal in 2019 is to get a lot of people using this while we, you know, learn how to do it better and better and better, and then that's going to translate into profitable revenue in 2020. So when you say the goal is learning, it's not the market learning about it, it's our internal learning. Correct. It Should is. we identify the areas of learning in particular, or is it just like, hey, let's find out what we want, we can find out? Um, no, I, yeah, I would identify the areas of learning. Um, we, I'm trying to think of a good analogy. Um, Oh, sure. A buddy of mine is getting ready to publish a book um, through Amazon's Kindle store, and he's never done it before. And so he needs to learn the mechanics of it. And so his measure of success for 
at least phase one, is can I successfully get my book in the store? So that means I have to convert my uh, my document into HTML, and I need to upload it to Kindle Direct Publishing, and I need to uh, verify that all the pagination works out. And there's a whole bunch of mechanics that he has to learn. And once he's done that, then he's more. Then he moves to a new kind of metric. The new metric is how many people are reading the book, how many people are downloading the book, how many people are talking about the book. So whenever you're going into a field that is new to your organization, it doesn't mean that it's new to, to anybody. I mean, I've published books on Kindle, so I know the mechanics of doing it. Uh, he's never done it. He wants to understand it himself as opposed to outsourcing it to me. So his whole first level objective is to learn the mechanics of, of publishing. So when you're thinking about your own new entry into a unfamiliar space, the learning is, do we know how to operate in this space? Do we know how to deploy? Do we know how to attract customers? Do we know how to do uh, the mechanics? One of the things I always do um, when we're piloting different marketing programs is I build out hypotheses, right? So like, here, here's my guess, right? This is what I think is going to happen um, when I can't all put just sort of stake goals in the ground, like, I think it's going to work like this. Um, and then we can start to refine those hypotheses out there. But even thinking through those hypotheses, make sure that I know that I can track it and that everyone is on the same page as to how we're going to, to see where we're how we're performing. Excellent. And, you know, I again, I, I think slide three or four in this deck was kind of that. And that is all of these squares are hypotheses. Um, we think this is who's going to buy it. We think this is who's going to use it. So now we do learning from the market to find out if that is in fact true. So we go talk to half a dozen personas and they all say, wow, I don't have that problem. And you're like, oh, darn, you know, I really wanted you to have this problem. So clearly we've got a disconnect between what we thought people needed and what they actually need. And that's how we turn some of these inside-out ideas into validated outside-in ideas. Uh, can you just flip to the product miner example again real quick? So we had a question, and I think it's a super valid question. Is this the level of detail um, that you in an ideal world, the canvas would have a sentence or two, or is the, yeah. Yeah, I, honestly, I'd say this is probably a little thin. Um, I'd have to go back and look at some of my own examples. I suspect I use more words than this, but not many more words. It's, it's like I'm using three to five words, and I should probably be using 15 to 25 words, maybe. Yeah, I think part of it's, you know, in PowerPoint, you want big fonts so people can read it, but how right. people will digest it more as a Word right. doc style. Right. But I could see, you know, in, in case of key metrics, I could see three bullet points of that length mm -hmm. of, you know, seven, seven to eight words. Um, our advantage probably needs to have a lot more in it. So, yeah, d uh, d plan on doubling the number of words from this example. But you can't use like three point type and fit in like <laughs> ten well, paragraphs and, in each box. And that's you know, not that the is, point. <laughs> that is what I've seen. And one, <laughs> one of the things that 
one of the things that I think it was uh, Osterwalder brought up was um, these are bounds so that you can't do that. You know, you, you want them to be small spaces that force you to be crisp, to be clear. And to prioritize, I think. I mean, sometimes there's a lot you could put in here, but let's focus on what the key ones are that are going to have a, a, a measurable difference on whether this is something we should go for. But. Correct. So this approach helps you prioritize different things using a common calculation. And I think the key to it is getting the decision makers on board with this approach that I'm tr it's in effect, it's like I'm trying to implement uh, your strategy. So tell me the importance of these different factors. And then I can provide you this one page that says, you know, here's what we're working on. And we are so all of us involved in so many things. It's amazing how often through my career people have said, now wait, is that this or is that the other thing? And so often I find what we try to do is introduce precision before we have vision. The idea of the product canvas is in one page, tell me your idea. As we know more, we can add more detail but don't ask me to read a business plan or worse, don't ask me to write a business plan for something we're ultimately not going to do. So put this in front of the executive team. We've got a common way of thinking and talking about projects so that we've got transparency in what we're doing and everybody's clear. <clears throat> so we've, I've actually, I didn't even wait for the slide. I jumped ahead. We've, we've got through, I think, all of the questions we had. Okay. So, which is great. Uh, we did have a couple people comment that they loved the Canvas idea and that they had tools um, that they use internally, some software for building out Canvases. So I was hoping that they would then follow up with some examples of tools they've used. I don't know if you have tools in mind, but. Um. I've seen a number of different uh, proprietary tools that, that do similar Canvases. Um, and certainly, you know, if folks want to send me uh, Examples. I could I could write an article or uh, post them somewhere in an FAQ uh, as examples. That'd be great. All right. Well, thank you, Steve. This was a great session. I really appreciate you joining us today. And thank you all of all of you for joining us today. Uh, don't forget to join us next month when we've got the heads of product marketing from SAP, LinkedIn, and Cognizant, who are going to talk through sort of what they think will make great product marketing teams and plans in 2019. Um, again, we will send out all the templates and, or link to all the templates tomorrow. And I hope you all enjoyed this edition of Pragmatic Marketing and that you enjoy both the rest of the week and that you have a very safe and happy holidays.